Scott is going to come and kick off uh, a series that we're going to be doing in the evenings, um, looking at some of life's big questions. Um, I did suggest that something that would be um, contentious and controversial for us to discuss might be something like, what is the best kind of cake, um, given Scott's experience in the baking world? But that was uh, vetoed. Um, but rather than trivial questions, in our series, we're actually going to look at those big questions that perhaps we dread our non-Christian friends would ask us, or the type of question that we'd be asked and we think, where on earth would I start with that? Or perhaps the question that you've been thinking, actually, I've been a Christian for many, many years, and I don't know the answer. Um, or perhaps something a question that you are thinking, I just don't know the answer to that and I've actually really been wrestling with it. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't believe in God, but you're open to finding out more about it. And this is something that's really good for um, us to do. It's something that's really healthy. The beauty of Christianity is that it is based on truth. Our faith is rational and it's based on evidence. In John's gospel, one of the names that Jesus gives to the devil is the father of lies. Later in John's gospel, Jesus calls himself the truth. Therefore, if we are going to be people who follow Jesus, who himself is truth, then it's important that we are people of the truth and that we know the truth about life's big questions. So this evening, the question Scott is actually going to answer is, how can I believe in a God that I can't see? Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Patty, for leading us and for all of the musicians and singers. Uh, but yes, as Patty mentioned tonight, we are going to be tackling the big question, how can I believe in a God that I can't see? So we're certainly not starting off with an easy one anyway. Uh, but it somewhat relates to the bigger question, doesn't it, of how can we believe in anything that we can't see? Because, well, when it comes to believing in something, we want to be able to verify it with our senses, don't we? I mean, take this lectern, for example. I can see it, I can touch it, and so it makes it very easy to believe it exists. However, when it comes to believing in things which we can't see, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Now, of course, there are some exceptions to that. I mean, we probably all believe in memories. We all um, believe in emotions. And yet, those are things which we can't see with our eyes and we can't touch them. But generally, it is much harder to believe in something which we can't see. And I guess part of that is that most of us uh, have grown up with this worldview of materialism. And materialism is the belief that nothing exists beyond the material world that we live in this closed universe. It's a belief that all of reality is found within the four walls of the material realm, and then that anything outside of that is simply make-believe. And so it's easy enough to see that how we can almost instinctively doubt some of these claims of Christianity, isn't it? If someone is claiming to believe in something supernatural, well, it can seem like a little bit of a stretch. But then also related to this is that we live in an age which rightfully, I guess, values the scientific method. Now, if you don't know, my day-to-day -day at the moment is in cancer research, and so trust me, I value it too. You'll be glad to know that. 
Because if someone is going to make this claim that they have found this really effective treatment for cancer, while yes, it would be lovely to just celebrate that, well, the whole scientific community, and I would really hope the patients themselves, they want to see some evidence that this treatment is actually going to work. We want to see some evidence before it, for it before we're going to believe it. I would certainly have a much easier time getting my PhD if all I had to do were make some claims and then go on my way. The hard part of it is actually showing some evidence for what we've done. And maybe this is how some of you see Christianity. There are lots of great claims in there. They are great claims. But is it not all a little bit fanciful? Have we not outgrown this idea of just another idea of like a, another man in the sky, just this idea which is quite like Santa. And now, at this point, I want to introduce you to a man called Yuri Gagarin. You're going to have to bear with me on this one. He was a Russian cosmonaut. And so he went well up into that sky to maybe see something that the rest of us hadn't seen yet. Yuri was actually the first man uh, to enter outer space. But he was reported to say something which is a little bit unsettling when he got there, or at least a little bit unsettling for anyone who is a churchgoer. He said, I don't see any God up here. And the official doctrine of the Soviet Union was atheism at the time. And well, it seemed like Yuri had just confirmed that. He had expanded the boundaries of where we'd ever been before, what we'd ever seen with our eyes. And yet the words when he got there were, I don't see any God up here. And now, it turns out it uh, was actually Soviet propaganda which spread this, and those words didn't ever come out of his mouth. But nevertheless, someone did say it. Someone had to have said it. And it's probably not far from what most people were thinking, if we're honest. They may be thinking, we've looked further than ever here. And if there really is a God of the universe, then surely he would have shown up by now. How else could we believe in a God that we can't see? Now, we are keeping with this space theme here, not because I'm particularly interested in space, but because it fits quite well. Uh, and I want to show you quite a famous photo on the screens. Maybe some of you are aware of it already. Uh, and this picture, which is on the screens now, is called Pale Blue Dot. And if I'm honest, it probably could have been called Barely Visible Dot. But hopefully there's a red circle. Got yet? There it is. Okay. So what it is, is a photo of Earth, which was taken by the Voyager 1 space probe. And if we're really honest, that little speck, that thing which is circled in red, is Earth. And it just looks like a speck, doesn't it, in comparison to the vastness of space around it. But I'm actually not so much interested in the picture itself as I am in the interpretation of it by a man called Carl Sagan. And Carl Sagan was an astronomer himself, and he was commissioned by NASA to write about this picture. And in his book, he explains how this pale blue dot, that little speck, represents just how small and insignificant we are. And I'm going to read an excerpt of what he says. He says, and this should be on the screen, yeah. He says, consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That is us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, 
lived out their lives. Thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines. Every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. And he says, our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. He writes beautifully, but also very bleakly, doesn't he? And what he's actually saying is that maybe we really are too insignificant to ever grapple with these ideas, to think about ultimate reality, to consider these questions that we're going through in this series. And he says that our smallness, actually it probably suggests that there isn't a God. We're just out here on our own. There is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. But I wanna suggest that actually by that same token, if we really are that small and insignificant, well then our only hope of ever discovering if God really exists would be if God reveals himself to us. If we're that tiny, then surely our only hope is if God shows up. And we're gonna turn now to an account in the Bible as we consider what a Christian would say in response to this question. And we're gonna look at an eyewitness account which is written by a man named John. And it's on page 1063 of your Pew Bible. So if you wanna grab one of these books to follow along, it is in page 1063. And now the claim that John makes in this book is that God actually has entered our world to make himself known. That's a pretty huge claim, isn't it? He's saying that God has crossed the divide to show us what he's like. And actually what I think is brilliant about this book is that he knows that he's writing to skeptics. And we know that because he pretty explicitly states it at the end of the book. And he says this in chapter 20, verse 30. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, by believing you may have life in his name. So he knows that we're all a little bit skeptical. John's not writing oblivious to that at all. And he's recording what he saw so that we might believe. And as he writes, he wants you to test his claims. He invites you to do that as we go along. To ask at the end of this study, could it be true if God made the universe that he has shown up to show us what he is like? Could it be true? Now, let's go to the start of John's argument, right at the start of this book in chapter one. And what he says in the opening couple of verses is this. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And I, I'll hold my hands up and say that that is a little bit of a confusing opener. But 
let's just stop and investigate it for a second. So he starts in the beginning. So he's saying from the very start, from before anything else existed was the word. He's pointing us right back to Genesis at the start of the Bible. And he's saying before the creation, before the moment where something was created from nothing was the word. And that word was with God and that word was God. That word was God. And in fact, if he existed before the creation, then it would simply have to be God, wouldn't it? And John insists that through him all things were made. And I, I want us to return to that quote earlier from Yuri Gagarin, the one where he said, I don't see any God up here. Because it's, it's probably true that he didn't see God in space. But it raises the question, well, does that mean then that God doesn't exist? And I think C.S. Lewis has answered that part pretty brilliantly, actually, as he normally does. He wrote an essay in response to Yuri's quote, and it's called The Seeing Eye. And in it, he said, not finding God in space is a little bit like Hamlet going into the attic of his castle and looking for Shakespeare there. Or I guess if you'd prefer a modern example, it would be like Harry Potter flying around looking for J.K. Rowling. You can't expect that, can you? Because Hamlet just doesn't know Shakespeare because that's generally not how an author relates to their book. Unless, of course, Shakespeare decided to write himself into the story. Unless J.K. Rowling decided that she would bring herself in to sit among Harry and Hermione and that they would all get to know each other. Unless the author would write themselves into the story. And actually, this is exactly what we find happens in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The word God, this author of creation, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's claim is that we don't need to speculate about vague theistic claims. We don't need to wonder how we would ever find out what God is like. We don't need to wonder where we would ever go to find him. His claim is that God actually has made himself known. The word has become flesh. God has come down and his name is Jesus. And now, there are a number of reasons why this is really good news. First, it means that he can be investigated. Christianity is not this idea of close your eyes and walk on in blind faith. No, God coming to earth means that the unverifiable has now become verifiable. John actually wrote some other letters too, which Patty had read from earlier, which are also part of the Bible and in the first of those letters, he says this. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you, what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So God has decided to make himself known. 
in the person of Jesus. He has become verifiable. He has become touchable. And in fact, there's a man in the Bible who has, to be honest, quite harshly got the nickname Doubting Thomas. And you know what he said whenever he was told that Jesus had risen from the dead? What he asked whenever he found out that he did this thing which only God could do? He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. He says, unless I can verify it with my senses, unless I can see it, unless I can touch him, I won't believe it. So if you're here and you're doubting, let it be known you're not the first skeptic around. But remember, John has recorded this eyewitness account so that we can believe. That was the purpose that he wrote this book. And so in the very next verse, we find out that Thomas's skepticism was met with some evidence. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. We can investigate God. He came to dwell among us. And part of that means that he has made himself verifiable now. And in one sense, that's one of the more unique things about Christianity if you compare, the, compare it to other religions. Many other religions, they are based off a private encounter with an angel or with God or some private revelation. But contrast that to Jesus, this God who has become flesh. This Jesus, he was a, he was a very public man. He lived a very public life. In fact, he was publicly trialed, wasn't he? And then he was publicly killed and then buried in a very public tomb. And then three days later, he rose from the dead publicly and he showed himself then to the public who then proclaimed publicly to the rest of the public what had just happened. It's in total contrast to some other religions. And so if you really want to investigate the claims, well, God has graciously given us plenty to work with. And actually, I'd encourage you to investigate those claims. If you are having doubts about this, if you want to read more of it, I actually got some of these. This is the Gospel of John. This is where most of the text has been taken from today. And there's some out there if you want to take one home and investigate these claims. I'd encourage you to do that. So he has made himself verifiable. And the second, the second implication of all of this then is that he loves us. This is the God who has created us. He didn't have any need to step down into this world. He had no need to write himself into the story, and yet he has seen us, and he's seen us being tossed and turned, and he's seen us sinking and needing saved from ourselves. If you remember that man, Carl Sagan, that I mentioned, he even noticed that about this world. He noticed all of the atrocities of this world and all of the heartbreak and it's because of this thing called sin. This is a broken world that we live in, and yet God in his love has stepped into that world to offer us salvation, because that's the kind of loving God that we have. And thirdly, and finally then, it means that he can be known personally. Jesus didn't come just so people could believe that a God exists, 
not even so that he can know us and sympathize with our humanity. Those are true, but it's also so that we can know him and know him personally. If you look at verse 12 of John chapter 1, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This isn't a distant God at all. This is the God who has chosen to come and to dwell among us in the person of Jesus. And he came that we might become children of God, part of the family. We are all confronted with this question, aren't we, of who we think Jesus really is. We're all confronted with the question of what to believe, and yet God doesn't leave us to just speculate about it. He has come down in the person of Jesus to make himself known to us. And through his sacrificial death, he has paved a way for us to know him personally. Carl Sagan, he was probably right about our smallness and our apparent insignificance. We don't have a right to know God. We don't compare to his goodness, and yet in his love, Jesus has offered us salvation so that those who believe in his name might become children of God. So, how can I believe in a God that I can't see? Well, because God has decided to make himself known in the person of Jesus. God has taken on flesh, and so he is verifiable. He knows what it is like to be human, and also he loved us enough to make a way for us to know God personally, if we really do believe the claims that he has made. After Jesus rose from the dead, knowing that he was going to ascend to heaven and that not everyone was going to see him in the flesh, Jesus said these words to Thomas. That's doubting Thomas that we've looked at already. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Our prayer is that that might be the case for you as you investigate these claims. So let me pray for us now. God, thank you that you have chosen to make yourself known through sending your son, Jesus. We thank you that we've been given an eyewitness account in the Bible, multiple of them actually, so that we can test these claims and investigate who you are. And God, we pray that as we do that, that we would see the love that you have for us to come down and to rescue us. And we do pray that in due time, any of us who don't yet know you, God, that we would see you for who you really are and would trust in Jesus and become children of God. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.